Okay, this morning I had in my own uh, private study in counsel from God to me, I had this thought about shield. And so I'm going to read some scriptures. You see a lot of where it says the shield in the Psalms. You see, it's, it's, a, it's mostly recorded in all the Psalms. So, for instance, just, just to give you a few, and then we'll read some of those. But that's what it says in Psalm 3, verse 3. It says that in Psalm 5, verse 12. It says it in Psalm 33 and verse 20. It says it in Psalm 59, verse 11. In Psalm 84 and verse 9, all through there, the Lord is our shield. He's our buckler. So you're going to see these two, two words in the Psalms in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and it's going to be shield and buckler. And we're going to see what those mean today and, and how we can apply them to us as believers today. Also, again, in Psalm 91, verse 4, and I really like this psalm with Isaiah 21 and verse 5. But I'm going to read Psalm, and then you can look those up in a concordance. But I'm going to read Psalm 91. And this I have this thought, and God put this thought in my mind as I'm studying what has been going on and there's nothing new with the enemy. There's nothing new with him at all. He just brings it up at certain times. Satan, our enemy, who is totally against God. And so, therefore, he's against those that he loves, and that's you and I. I had this thought about the shield because of the things that have been going on. So, in our time right now, and, and it's been this way even through the centuries. You have the false teaching where you mix Judaism with Christianity. And as the Bible makes it clear in scriptures that Judaism and Christianity are two completely different things. Now out of that, when we don't understand who we are in Christ and don't understand what we'll bring out this morning with a shield and a shield protects, and we'll get into the, the details of this this morning, but it's to protect us as the church today from things that assailed the church even as early as first century. There were many in John's day, very early first century, and 1 John 2.18, where he said, even now there are many antichrists, those that were against Christ, and what's an antichrist? I could teach things ignorantly and not understand them and still teach them, and they could, would still be against Christ. Some of these things that we face today are covenant theology. That's mixing Judaism with Christianity. That's mixing works with grace. There's lordship salvation. Again, that is mixing works, fleshly, carnal works, with the grace and truth that only is found in Christ. Him having finished the work himself in John 19 and verse 30. There is universalism. There is annihilationism. There's all these different things there. They are false teaching. 
Now, Satan, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, he's an angel of light. What does that mean? It just simply means any of us can be deceived if we don't know the truth, if we haven't been taught it. Furthermore, even when we've been taught it, if we don't submit to it and experience it, we're still open to the enemy, to the flesh. And so again, Satan is an angel of light. Again, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14. And he has his ministers. You can be a minister. You could be the most sincere Christian and be false in your understanding and teaching certain things. And in that sense, they would be against Christ, Antichrist. You may not even be aware of it. I think some folks, are, uh, the enemies convinced some Christians to be very sincere, he's deceived them, and they really think what they're doing is right. They really can think that way, such as covenant theology especially, and Lordship Salvation. Now again, I could do this ignorantly. I could preach it ignorantly. Again, we always have to speak the truth in love in Ephesians 4 verse 15, but that doesn't mean we don't contend. There's going to be a conflict and a contention with the truth when the truth comes up, the true teaching of Jesus Christ comes up against the false things. There's going to be that spiritual conflict. And so, because of that, and because of all these teachings that come down the pipe, that Satan wants to use to affect those that are truly born again, and not only to affect them when he can deceive them in Revelations 12, 9. Did you ever notice that when Satan can deceive a believer, he will instantly use them to accuse in Revelations 12.10. And who does Satan usually accuse? The brethren. And the brethren are those that are in Christ by his pure grace. Again, in Ephesians 2.8, you and I are saved by grace. Our whole Christian life in Philippians 2.12 and 13. We are saved by grace, and then it says through faith. And even that faith is not of works. Not of ourselves, it's not of works. Lest any man should boast, because in Ephesians 2:10, we are his workmanship. Notice that? There's nothing that we do to work out anything. Christ has finished it, we know. And we can't hear it enough in John 19 in verse 30. We can't hear it enough. So we have that. When did this subtlety Mixing lies with the truth. It started, way, it started in the garden with Adam and Eve because in Genesis 3.1, the enemy, Satan, is very subtle. He will appear as an angel of light. We just said it. We mentioned it for the third time. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, Satan is an angel of light. He also has his ministers in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 15. He does that, and he deceives. Now, getting back to this reality, he is very subtle. Remember, his desire in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15 was to be like 
the Most High. But can anything that is evil in itself have any goodness that's only in God himself? And it's impossible. It's a scriptural fact that is absolutely impossible. When you and I, or any Christian, gets to see through a no teaching, bad teaching, or again, a lack of it, proper teaching, you begin to call evil good, good evil. You begin to put darkness for light, light for darkness. You begin to put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter in Isaiah 5 and verse 20. And the reason that happens is, is because the light of the truth of the scriptures in Isaiah 8 verse 20 hasn't dawned on them, us as believers, in 2 Peter 1 verse 19. Then we become private interpreters in 2 Peter 1 verse 20. We become private interpreters. The privacy there is only in the flesh under the deception of the enemy, and then ultimately will use the deception to accuse. To accuse who? Who's the enemy? First and foremost, against. He's against Christ. He wouldn't be against a believer if we didn't have Christ in us. We have Christ in us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 23, he's in us. So we need this shield. And all through, but here... All through the Psalms, and again, I've mentioned some of those Psalms again, and you can see even in the 115th Psalm, I believe it's 7, 8, and 9 there, or, or down further, all about the shield with those other scriptures that God has given all of us this morning. But here is, here in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, here is Psalm 91, verse 1. It says, He that dwells in the secret place, a of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Who's the secret place for the Christian? It's Christ. If you read in, in Ephesians, the third chapter, and start at verse 4 and 5 and go down through there, it was the mystery about who we were and who we are in Christ that was never revealed in prior ages. That's why it's so very important for us to understand who we are in this dispensation of grace, the church age. That's why the enemy wants to do away with dispensational truth and do away with the church age and make Judaism and Christianity all one thing. Because thereby, he can deceive them and then those that are living in the truth, and of course, we would only be by the pure grace of God through Christ. He will accuse them. It's as simple as, as it goes. Now, so Psalm 91, verse 1, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my what? My refuge. When you're in this trouble, you run to your place of refuge and you're kept safe. And He's my fortress. He is my God. In Him will I trust. Is there any trust for us? Is there any trust for God, for the Jews, without their Messiah? And that happens to be Christ. Is there any trust for us in Christ during this church age other than Christ, who is our bridegroom, we as his bride? Surely, verse 3, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. You see, that's the enemy with his lying voice of covenant theology, lordship salvation, especially in this context about what we're speaking this morning. And we're going to, by the grace of God and his leading, really 
put together a booklet on these subjects because these are the things the enemy is using to attack Christ, to lower his glory, and then lower the believer in their own image. And so we see this in verse 4. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings will you trust. His truth will be, will be your shield and your buckler. And when you have a proper shield and a proper buckler, you will not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrows, the arrows of deception and accusation that fly by day. And if you don't understand, and I don't understand as a Christian, that we are in a conflict, and that when you get together, there's going to be truth, and God will use truth to confront, especially Christians. Not that they're enemies, but there's going to be a confrontation. There's going to be sparks that fly. And that's not a bad thing. That is good. It's good for all. But if I don't understand the other thing, spiritual warfare and my place in Christ and the equipment that I'm to have on, then I'll just want to make peace and not deal with any of those things. I will think that I need to be a peacemaker. Well, then you would have to function outside of your place to do so. Now, again, I'm going to read the only place shield is brought up in the New Covenant, the New Testament. And where do you suppose it is? Right in the midst of spiritual warfare, conflict. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, the 10th verse. And in the very near future, in the next coming months, we're going to be led by God to write a booklet on spiritual warfare. It's going to be very involved but it's going to be put in a format that if you truly and I truly want it, we can study it out and receive the truth from a multitude of different sources. But God will put it in a package so that whosoever wants it can have that and study it and see for themselves the truth that they have in Christ as a shield. Now, Ephesians 6, verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against all the wiles, the false lying method of Satan with those things that we've just mentioned, against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So it's be strong in the Lord. That's his grace and truth. It's Christ. And in the power, and that's Christ himself. Okay, so Christ is grace and truth in John 1, 14. He's the power of God in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24. And that's why God has not given us the spirit of fear in 2 Timothy 1, 7, but of power and love and a very well-disciplined mind, knowing how to think every moment of every day as a Christian in this dispensation of grace, the church age, knowing how I should function, when I should speak, when I shouldn't speak, with love having tremendous wisdom. Put on, in Ephesians 6.11, the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against all those those methods, the methodia, 
the lies, the false teachings of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Blood and flesh is the way it should be, but against principalities. We don't wrestle against blood and flesh, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness. Did you hear that? Satan of this world system. Satan is the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4.4. Do you know when it says 2 Corinthians 4.4, he's the God of this world? He is, that's in a religious sense with all his false teaching. He's a prince prince in power of the air in Ephesians 2.2, yes. He's the prince of this world system that Jesus has nothing to do with because there's no truth. In John 12, verse 31, in John 14, in verse 30, Satan, in John 8, verse 44, is the father of all lies. He's a murderer. He wants to murder Christians, kill their capacity for the truth about who they are in Christ because there's no truth in him. And that's what you come up against. Remember what Jesus said? He said, In Matthew 6, verse 22, he said, If your eye be single, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body will be filled with darkness. Then he said in 6.23, If the light that be in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? That's the angel of light and how he operates. Very subtly, we said in Genesis 3, verse 1, that subtlety that Paul was so... so, uh, in in this way, so concerned with for those that believers would be so soon moved because of bad teaching. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, with the same subtlety that he mixed his lies with, with truth. Yeah, a lot of truth, but some lies, which he did with Eve and Adam in Genesis 3, 1 to 6. He's very subtle, and that's brought out again in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Man, if I, if I am a leader and I'm, I consider myself to have the gift of a passive teacher and I don't understand these things, I don't even understand spiritual warfare and I just want to be a peacemaker, what kind of peace is that? It's false peace. It's against spiritual wickedness in the heights. Wherefore, because of this, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Are we in an evil day right now? Yes. And having done all, having overcome all, is what it says in the original, having overcome all to continue to stand and not be moved by these things. God's going to shake Christians. Is there something wrong with shaking? Well, if there is, we might as well eliminate Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Starting at verse 24 all the way to 29. He's going to shake God through his word and the preaching and teaching of it. He's going to shake things and believers that can be shaken. Those are the false teaching and lies. So that the things that can't be shaken will remain. Those are foundational truths. That's what they are. They're foundational truths. We need to contend for the faith in Jude, in Jude 3 and 4. What, what makes us think we won't be in a wrestling match then if we're going to contend for the faith? Are we wrestling against flesh and blood? What was being spoken? Was it against somebody? Did they take it that way? Or was it principalities and powers against the rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in the heights? And having done all to continue to stand, having overcome all to continue to stand, verse 14 of Ephesians 6, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, 
and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Again, that's not going out and preaching peace. That means you as a believer have peace. And it's based upon what Christ has finished doesn't have a thing to do with the flesh or works. Which Lordship Salvation will tell you, based on covenant theology, mixing Judaism with Christianity today. Above all, listen to this, above all, taking the shield of faith. That's the only place in the New Testament that word is brought out. Taking the shield of faith. You know when we have the shield of faith? It'll keep out all familiarity. It doesn't matter. You can be around the same people for years. You can be around them for years. You won't be familiar with them. In any time, I don't care where you are, where you go, what you do in their home, you treat their home, and you treat, the, treat their home with respect. You don't treat it like your own home. You don't. You just don't do that. You have great respect and honor and value for people. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith, and you must have it, you will be able to quench all the fiery missiles of hell from the wicked one. And then you're to take this, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Notice it's the sword of the Spirit, sword of the Spirit. And here in Ephesians 6, 17, goes into Hebrews 4, verse 12. But it also goes right back to Hebrews 13, verse 17. You have leaders that are your guide. You don't have to go over them. You don't have to console other people. You just need to keep your place and stay there. It's the safest place for you. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, again in Hebrews 4.12. Praying always. This is what you need to do. Prayer. That's your place to continue to pray. You let God do what He's doing. And I'm to let God to do what He's doing. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Notice that watching thereunto with all perseverance. This is prayer. And supplication for all saints. Do you see what you should do? You see what should go on when the word is being preached? And there's a confrontation. There's a leader, seasoned, years, years of it. And what should you do when you see this? This is what you do. It's the best thing you can do. It's the only thing you should do. And I should do supplication for all the saints and for me. See, you're praying for those that are hearing these, these things and that are being confronted and realizing it's not someone's flesh against someone else's flesh and then try to settle things as God's peacemaker. No, what do you do? You pray for them. And then you pray for the one who's doing the preaching and teaching. For me, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth, what? Boldly. You're in a battle. Pastor teacher's in a battle. He's in a vicious battle. He's in a battle. He needs prayer. That's your place, especially when we come together. That is your place. Don't leave it. You will get in the way of what God is doing. I want to make that crystal clear this morning. 
boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, things they don't know that do belong to them, for which I am an ambassador, chained to Christ, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to. Now, shield. We have a shield, and we talked about it, and I'm going to read some things from the Hebrew and from the Greek. Shield, and I want to listen. Those Psalms that I gave you, Psalm 3, 3, 5, 12, uh, 91, verse 4, the 33rd Psalm, the 115th Psalm, the 119th Psalm, the 18th Psalm, where shield is. Here is the word shield. 63 times it's Magen, M-A-G-E-N. Now, it's literally... It's magan is literally from the Hebrew word ganan or ganen. Listen to what this means. It is eight times this word, and they're two different words, but I'm going to explain them so we have to concentrate. This word ganan, G-A-N-A-N, is eight times. This word magan, M-A-G-E-N, is 63 times in the original Hebrew and Aramaic. The word ganan is eight times. And ganan here is a primitive root. Listen to what it says. To hedge about. It's always genitive of source, meaning protection and defense. But it's not from ourselves. It's not from ourselves. It's from him. He's our object. And if I don't have an objective shield, Christ the teachings, all the teachings about who Christ is in his person and what he's accomplished for us as his church, his body, his bride today in this dispensation of grace, the church age, then I'm very subjective and open to all this other false lying teaching. Now, it also means defend. G-A-N-A-N. Also means defend eight times. Now, that word, G-A-N-A-N, defend, and the King James, some say it's the authorized standard of version, some, and then there's the revised standard of version, RSV, they say, it's, they say it like this, put a shield around, put a shield around to protect. This verb and its derivatives, it occurs 130 times. That word, 130 times. The basic idea of that verb, and what's the verb do? It expresses action. And what is God's love? It's the energy and active activity of his nature. The word that comes out of it is the purity of his nature. When love protects us, it keeps us pure and from mixing false teaching. We need to know these things, all of us, because we're in a battle. I don't care what our circumstances, our situation, our health. Uh, it doesn't matter. We are all in a conflict. And we need to be protected. And so the verb and its derivatives occurs 130 times. And that the basic idea of that verb, and what's a verb do? It expresses action. The action of God's love. That enters into what? Wisdom. I may have knowledge. Now listen to this. This is very, very important, especially for young folks. I may have knowledge, but I may, not, I may lack the wisdom of knowing when, where, and how to apply it. 
I just might. I just might have thought maybe I would have done something differently. You can get rid of that might. Because <laughs> it is a M-I-T-E. It's an infectious little bug. <laughs> the basic idea of the verb, gone on, is to cover over and thus with a shield to protect from danger. Ganon is used only in reference to the protective guardianship of God. Now, it occurs eight times, we've said. Six have to do, in, in, in here and we'll see this, with the Assyrian crisis. They were the Assyrians, and they were in a crisis. They were coming against them. The Assyrians were coming against the Jews. And so it was a crisis. You know what God has to do? He has to bring folks, Christians especially, to a crisis point so that they can be delivered into a proper process of growth in grace and truth in 2 Peter 3.18. That's going to be a conflict, and it's going to be confrontation. That's the first step in unbelievable, anticipative love and prevenient grace. And God forbid I should get in the way of it. Six of, the, six of those occurrences have to do with the Assyrian crisis in the days of King Hezekiah. Isaiah assured King Hezekiah that God would care for Jerusalem like a mother bird hovering with wings spread over her in the nest, the nest of his love and wisdom. And you see that in Isaiah 31 and verse 5. Care. Care. Crisis. Crisis. When we're not cared for, protected properly, when we don't have the shield of all the teachings about who Christ is in his person and in the work that he himself alone has already accomplished, okay, God brings us to a crisis point. It's not bad. But God would assure us in these times of crisis that he does care for us Without a question. That's why in 1 Peter 5, 7, and in Psalm 55 and verse 22, 1 Peter 5, 7 cast, says, cast all your care, all your anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. It's brought out again in Psalm 55 and verse 22. He cares for you because you have an adversary. Who is he? He's the devil. If I don't have a proper shield, proper care, proper protection, I am wide open to the enemy, Satan, who is as a roaring lion, wants to rip me to shreds. And not only that, to use me to do it for others. That's why the time that we live in, we're to redeem the time, in Ephesians 5.16, because the days are evil. It's not just Kakos evil. Kakos evil is Satan's thought that he wants to teach and he wants believers to succumb to so that now they don't just function in kakos evil inwardly, but it's now poneros, it's infectious evil, an act of opposition to God's divine good, which is found only in Christ. God, and then we can see it. We, we read those Psalms. We read those Psalms there, again in Psalm 91, 1 through 4. Now, God would protect Jerusalem. Listen, God 
The first step of a crisis in a believer's life is the fact that God cares for them. That's why it's not necessary for anyone to get in the way. In this crisis has to do with God's protection. God would protect Jerusalem in this crisis, meaning he will only do what he can only do for his own sake. Did we hear that? Everything that God's doing in this crisis is for his own sake. And if it's for his own sake, it, wouldn't it be for the sake of the one that's in that crisis, in the midst of that conflict? He does it for his own sake, and he did it for David in Psalm 37, uh, verse 35, and he does it for us. It's for us, not against us. The deliverance of Jerusalem, our deliverance, them as Christians, like he did and desired to do and did countless times for the Jews and for Jerusalem, demonstrates to the whole evil world system that God was and is faithful to his promises. Of course he is in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. All the promises of God are in Christ Jesus and they're yea, yes, and settled. Amen. He's forever settled his word in heaven in Psalm 119, 89. Forever settled. Because in Matthew 24 and 35 and Isaiah 40 and verse 8, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. My word of promise. When God says something, he's not a man in Numbers 23 verse 19 that he should lie or ever change his mind. Has he not said, will he not do it? Has he not spoken and will he not bring it to pass? Him? Folks, when we come together for the word, stay in your place. It's the greatest place of protection. You don't have enough. It has to do, this crisis has to do with his faithfulness to his promises, and he's mighty to deliver his people from their oppressors. You know, Psalm 62, verse 5 says, My soul waits you on, upon God. Wait you upon God, for from him comes my expectation. Psalm 62, 8, trust in him what? At all times. Pour out your hearts to him. Listen, pour out your hearts in secrecy, especially when the word's being preached and there's a crisis going on. Pray for them and pray for the one who's giving the word. Period. That's where it starts, that's where it ends. And protect yourself in Psalm 62 and verse 10. Because when you trust in him, you don't trust in who is the oppressor, the enemy, in 62.10 of Psalms. Zechariah, in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah twice uses the same verb to describe the divine protection of God's people in their wars. Are we in a conflict? Are we? We just read it. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, we're in a conflict. Okay? We need to be in a proper conflict. What if we're not in a proper conflict? What if we're not in a proper conflict? What if God isn't fighting our battles? What if we don't have the equipment, the shield? And don't understand these things. As a Christian, as one who's in Christ, who possesses all these things but doesn't experience them, then what kind of battle do they get in? Here's James, the fourth chapter. 
And verse 1, from where come wars and fightings, quarreling and strugglings among you? Well, where do they come from? Your lusts. When I don't have truth, how do I interpret the word? The enemy will use the lusts patterns. In, a fee, in, in 1 John 2.16 and in, Galatia, in, in Genesis 3 and verse 6. Your lust that war in your members. He activates them. You lust and have not. And by the way, in those parables of the seed in Luke 8, the chapter, 8th chapter and verse 13, chapter, those first three may be unsaved, but don't think that you can't be as a believer functioning in those three things. Because you can. And I can. Any of us can. You lust, what's the only way? That the word finds fertile soil and humility. God can plant the truth in the heart that he, that he has so humbled. And there won't be any irritation in it either. You lust and have not, and desire and can obtain. Lordship salvation, covenant theology, all these other wrong teachings. You fight and war, yet you have not, you know, because you don't ask. But you don't ask because you don't even know what to ask for. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. You adulterers, adulteresses is not in the original. You, adult, you adulterers is not in the original, it's adulteresses. You adulteresses. Know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do you think a believer can, can have false teaching, bad teaching, and, and then function as an enemy of God? Without any question about it. Without any question about it. Thank God that we have the truth. We need to put on. Read Ephesians the fourth chapter, verses 20 to 24. We need to have the teaching constantly to be able to put off the old and put on the new. Constantly, constantly. Zechariah, as I said, used this twice, the same verb to describe the divine protection of God's people in their wars against the sons of Greece. You see that in Zechariah 9 and verse 15. And of Jerusalem in the very last days in Zechariah 12 and verse 8. Now, back to the word Shield Magan, M A Magan, M A G E N. It means shield, it means buckler, it means defense, it means to be a ruler, ruling properly in proper thoughts with a shield. The shield is, speaks of the person of Christ and all the work that he's finished and all those truths that had to do with that. His person and the work that he's finished. That's the shield. And each of us have to take it up. The noun, magan, refers to an object. Remember, object, object, said it's the source outside myself. I need to take the, the shield that's outside myself. To an object, it refers to an object which provides covering and protection to the body during warfare. They are two different words. The first one is that magen, M-A-G-E-N. It's the smaller and more common type of round shield that's carried by light infantry 
and officers. They're really light infantry. They're really not in the heat of the battle. You need it, you need it here and there to protect yourself throughout the day. But then when you come together and, and truth is being taught and there's going to be an intense satanic conflict, you need a much bigger shield. Much bigger shield. And that is the Sina. S-I-N-N-A. The Sina. And what is this? It is the rectangular shield which covers the whole front, the whole front of the body. Why is it just the whole front of the body? Because in spiritual warfare, we're to go forward. Like he told Israel, stand still in Exodus 14, 13 and see the salvation, the deliverance of Israel. You don't have to fight this battle in Exodus 14, 14. The battle is the Lord. What are you to do in Exodus 14, 15? Go forward. Forward. With that shield. That shield here in the Hebrew, the Sinah, which is the rectangular shield which covered the whole front of the body. The fact is, and here's a fact, the fact is this, that it is God who always and who's only the one who protects his people. Ganan. G-A-N-A-N. God protects, G-A-N-A-N, his people. He is their shield, Magan. M-A-G-E-N. And he was the shield of Israel, and he's ours in Ephesians 6.16. He is the shield surrounding his servants, his true worshipers. In Genesis 15, verse 1, he is the shield for the house of Aaron in Psalm 115 and verse 10. Psalm 115 and verse 10, and who was Aaron? He's a priest. And who are we now? We are priests. We go in for ourselves and we go into God through prayer. That's why prayer is so very important. Very important. He's the one that does it. He's the shield. He's the surrounding shield, the shield that surrounds the house of Aaron. The nation of Israel, in, in Deuteronomy 33 and verse 29, he is, in all those who walk uprightly, knowing their position in Christ, and put their trust in him, he's a shield that protects them. And you'll see that in Proverbs 2.7, and again, beautifully, in Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. Every word of God is pure in Proverbs 35. He's a shield to them that walk uprightly in 30, verse 6 of Proverbs. Now, that word, M-A-G-E-N, again, is also used figuratively of princes as protectors of the realm of God. Today, that's called pastors and teachers. And those that are taught right in their proper place can protect but the fact of the matter is here is that it's used of princes. Who's a prince? One who rules. Under who? A king. Who's our king? He's more than our king. He's the king of kings. And in Revelation 17 and verse 14 and Revelation 19 and verse 16. But he's the Lord of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You don't make him be Lord of your life and your salvation. He already is. We're going to be bringing these things out in the future. But the fact is, he's a protector of those. In Psalm 89, verse 18, in Psalm 47, and verse 9, 
And we see it again in Hosea 4 and verse 18. Now, finally, as we close this morning in Ephesians 6, 16, the word shield there is thurios, T-H-U-R-E-O-S, thurios. And it's from the Greek word thura, T-H-E-R-A, and thura means a door. So thurios was a large oblong shield, door-shaped, curved, and door-shaped. It was large and oblong. Now, thurios in the original, in the Greek, originally and formerly meant a stone for closing the entrance of a cave. Nothing could penetrate to get into that cave. Then it's used as a shield, which again is large and oblong, protecting every part of the soldier. Every part of the soldier. What is going on when we get together for the Word? When we truly get together for the Word? And what is the whole means of getting together for the Word? No matter what, what is it for? This is 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. You therefore, my son, and this is an apostle speaking to a young pastor, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit you to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. What soldier doesn't go to war? No man that wars, that's involved in warfare as a soldier, is to get himself mixed up with the affairs of this life. That means no matter what you're doing, what job it is, you're still a soldier and you're going to be involved in some form of warfare. The affairs of this life, that he may please him who's chosen him to be a soldier. We see that very clearly. And that's why it says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, quit you, be strong like man. Quit anything else that's not of Christ and stand strong in who you are in Christ. And then you do all things in love in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14 with tremendous wisdom. Tremendous wisdom. So we have this shield of faith. Notice what it is. It is a shield of what? Faith. What is faith? It is teaching us absolute dependence constantly upon Christ, his person, the work that he's finished with all those teachings that we have. It's a shield of faith, what? Which the believer in Christ is to take up. What if I don't know the shield? What if the shield's incomplete? What if it's a false shield? Will the fiery missiles penetrate? Will they devour me? Now here, in, in all, it says, in all, in Ephesians 6.16. In here is the Greek, E-N, and in the original, it's in all. All that's just been mentioned that we need to do with these shields. As affecting, and it's to affect the whole of our activities. Did you know that? If we don't keep that shield up in the midst of the warfare as individuals, then it will if the fiery missile comes in and gets us, we're going to get into this in detail in booklets too. I mean in precise detail. It will affect every single activity of my life. 
It will if I don't keep that shield up. And thank God we have that shield. Thank God we have his protection. Thank God he loves us. And out of his love comes tremendous wisdom. No wonder Jesus Christ in Proverbs the 8th chapter, starting at 20 all the way down through, he is the wisdom of God himself. And he's not only the power of God in 1 Corinthians 1.24, he's the wisdom of God. And no wonder in John 1, 1 and 2, there were Christ and the Father in their deity. They were held in one. They were together, never to be separated, with this exchange of this deep, affectionate love that nothing could interfere with and distract. Yet he came out and put on humanity to give us this in 1.14. He's given us this wisdom. And boy, when I don't have it, what kind of shield do I have? What does love always do? Protects. What does love always do? In Proverbs 10, 12, and 1 Peter 4, 8, it covers. It doesn't mean that I give someone peace and think it's love covering them in the deception that they're living in. Love can be very confrontational. It can be. And we need to speak it in love. We need to. But thank God we can speak it. So, Father, thank you for this truth this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you for the shield that Christ is. He's your shield, the only shield you have in Jesus' name. Amen.